So Faye, it's getting really close to July. And so that means that there's going to be a lot of new folks coming into the hospital and they're all going to be asking not only, oh my God, you're the Cuyahoga River Coffee people, but also what can you read or what can you do? Yeah, definitely. One of the biggest things that I use to help me study both for um, my oral boards that are coming up, but also just in my general everyday life is actually the OBG project. Yeah, in particular for residents, they have an exclusive resource right now called the Resident Core, um, which is a comprehensive resource for education, kind of like an open source curriculum. Um, it's free to all residents. You just head on over to our website at creagsovercoffee.com or to the OBG Project website, and you can learn more and get signed up. Absolutely. And if you are a fourth year resident, if you're a rising chief, you can actually get OBG first absolutely free, which is their premium subscription process um, that allows you to create your own libraries and bookmark some of your favorite articles from the website. So again, if you're interested, head on over to our website, creagsovercoffee.com. You can check out the sidebar and find out how to get either that free year of OBG first as a chief resident or to get signed up for the resident core for every other resident out there. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creogs over, over coffee. coffee. Today we have a special guest with us. Julie Park is someone who I've gotten to know during my short time here at the University of Washington. She's one of our assistant nurse managers um, and has been at the University of Washington for five years now, but she has a lot of experience. She's been a labor and delivery nurse for 31 years now um, and has been in leadership roles for a long part of that career. Um, and Julie today is going to talk with us about what exactly a charge nurse is and what your charge nurse wants you to know. It's July, so it's time to learn these things since we've got a bunch of new interns around. Thanks for being with us, Julie. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Nick, I think you made this a good point. It's July 1st. We have new interns and fellows. And I think the biggest thing that I would like to impart onto new interns if they haven't learned it already is to be nice to your nurses because they can be a great resource for you. So Julie, how about we start off by you telling us a little bit about your background and kind of your journey through nursing and how you became an L&D nurse? So funny that you asked that question um, because I often think of my very first day I stepped onto labor and delivery many, many years ago. I had originally thought that I wanted to be a pediatrics nurse and wasn't sure about it after my clinical rotation. And luckily, I got to step onto a wonderful labor and delivery unit and work beside a labor and delivery nurse who was laboring her patient who delivered while I was on that day. And it was just the most incredible feeling in the world. And I'm pretty sure that my car's tires weren't even touching the road all the way home. And I knew right from that moment that that's what I wanted to do. And I still feel that joy and that elation with every delivery that I'm a part of. Oh, that's awesome. And that sounds honestly a lot like the journey that many of us have on the med school side too, of just like trapped between many times actually peds and OB and figuring out like, does your head go with the baby or does your head stick with mom? You guys do a little bit of both, truthfully, on the nursing side. Uh, <laughs> we do. But, We're really lucky um, we get a bit of both. <laughs> yeah. So 
Julie, I think part of the interest that I have with our listeners today and your journey in nursing is that you are one of our charge nurses at UW. I think like we hear charge nurse and we recognize that like you're the nurse in charge, I guess you'd say. Um, but what exactly is a charge nurse and how does that differ from in terms of experience level or sort of work responsibilities from like your you know, not to say a regular labor and delivery nurse, but your bedside labor and delivery nurse. Right, right, Nick. Well, what's interesting is that I really wasn't sure that I ever wanted to be a charge nurse when I stepped onto labor and delivery. I saw the activity and the intensity, and I thought, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but then it kind of found me when we relocated from California to Arizona, and I had applied for a job as a staff nurse in labor and delivery at this particular hospital. And when they called me back, they said, we have a position open for a charge nurse supervisor, and we'd love for you to step in. So that's how I got involved with being a charge nurse. And it's really interesting because a charge nurse makes the puzzle work for the day. And sometimes that means that you have to put a square peg in a round hole. So what is the charge nurse versus the bedside labor and delivery nurse? The bedside labor and delivery nurse focuses on her patient or patients that she has for that day, for that shift. The charge nurse um, actually is responsible for the entire floor and manages the patient flow from all angles. She's often juggling multiple requests at the same time from many directions and may have to adjust the patient assignments in the process, you know, and she has to watch and anticipate for unexpected problems or emergencies and constantly assess the state of the resources of the unit and how to mobilize and allocate what needs to happen in crises or unexpected admissions. Kind of one of my own, and I think phase two sort of personal heroes in at least medicine labor and delivery wise is Neil Shaw. And Dr. Shaw has written some about sort of the decisions facing labor and delivery, particularly leadership, charge nurses, medical directors. Um, but he, in a talk that Faye and I both saw, likens the job of a labor and delivery charge nurse to an air traffic controller. <laughs> Um, and it kind of sounds like what you're describing right now. Um, do you agree with that? And then like, tell us more about sort of the decisions that you're balancing on a daily basis or like, you know, even with like your last couple of shifts, what are things that like you're having to look at? Absolutely. It does feel like an air traffic controller, though I have no experience flying a plane. <laughs> so <laughs> the decisions that I have to make on a daily basis start off usually just assessing what's scheduled for the day who's in labor, what antepartum patients do we have, who's on the watch list, what's scheduled as far as C-sections, procedures, uh, versions, inductions, and how am I going to balance all of that? And do I have the staff to meet all those needs for what we have and what we need to get done for the day? But then what might be happening as well that we're not expecting, like the transports or Somebody crumps in antepartum and needs an emergency section. Somebody comes in who is positive for COVID and we need to do a C-section. And now all my staff is uh, sucked into that emergent situation. So I have to balance all those requests and mobilize the resources and all the while juggle patient satisfaction, provider satisfaction, and 
staff satisfaction and still manage to keep safety number one priority. Nick and I had a couple interesting shifts a couple weeks ago when he was on service where there was just a surge in, a, in volume and just trying to manage that and make it work. Sometimes I wonder how it's going to work and then somehow manage to pull a magic trick out of the hat and it all comes together. It's like, wow, the greatest feeling in the world when you can make that happen. I mean, it certainly sounds like a, a really difficult job, probably sometimes a job that is a little bit crazy. <laughs> can you tell us maybe a little bit about, you know, what was like the craziest moment you've had in your career or maybe, you know, something that you remember and that was like that stood out in terms of like doing this job and trying to balance all of those things? Uh, absolutely. There's a couple that come to mind. And, and I, I've worked low risk, mid risk, high risk, and super high risk. So it, it's quite a different experience depending on the facility that you work at and what providers are available and, and who's coming in from the outside. Sometimes in a low risk facility, you just don't have the resources. You have to call those resources in. The craziest experience that I remember in that in my low risk setting, because there weren't the plethora of nurses working like there are in a busy facility. Um, and so I was one of two labor and delivery nurses and in charge and had my own patient. And the other nurse was delivering in the other room. The, the baby required resuscitation and I was the resuscitation nurse. Then the mother started to hemorrhage. So then I had, fortunately, the resuscitation went well the baby was okay. I had two providers in the room and uh, that the one provider took over what the infant needed as far as observation after the resuscitation. And then I had to figure out how to manage that maternal hemorrhage from a nursing standpoint. And that was a long time ago. That, that was in the days in a small facility where the labor and delivery nurse had both patients, the mom and the baby. And now the expectation is that there's a nurse for each patient, the mom and the baby, and there's a team for each patient, which is the way it should be. So it's been very interesting to watch the evolution of OB and safe patient practice over the years. And But then the other experience that stands out at, my, at the high-risk center was when we had a COVID-positive C-section, a maternal hemorrhage, and a code gray for patient behavior all at the same time literally at the same time. Oh, gosh. So it was really a stretch. I had to, I couldn't be there for all those emergencies because usually the charge nurse is involved in all the emergencies that are happening on the unit. But when there's three and there's only one of me, <laughs> you have to delegate those duties and put a leader in charge of each of those emergencies and a group together quickly so that everyone can stay safe and that the patients remain safe. So that was fun to kind of juggle that. Yeah, I can only imagine, you know, going from a place where you're doing what I imagine, like trying to put a, a mask on a baby for PPV in one hand and methogen in a syringe in the other. It's a little tricky. It's a little <laughs> tricky and, and really not the best. It's not the best uh, combination. Yeah. Julie, I wanted to ask you sort of, especially because it is July and we've got, you know, a lot of new folks around, um, particularly mm -hmm. in residency perspective, but also like, you know, there are new nursing students that are around and new midwifery students that are around. You've obviously seen in 31 years of practice in a couple different locations, sort of the, the whole spectrum of 
practice. What kind of advice or things have you observed in terms of making a successful labor and delivery practitioner? A good listener and a good observer. It's really important to observe what's going on in the unit. There's a lot to learn when you come in and you're new and you're you're learning the kitchen, so to speak, how each facility cooks. Observation is really key and listening, listening to your nurse. If your nurse is saying, I need you now, or giving um, a really detailed S-bar as to what's going on with the patient or, or cussing, so to speak. I'm concerned. I'm uncomfortable. It's a safety matter. It's really good to listen to that. And use closed-loop communication uh, so that everyone has the same shared mental model and be patient. There's often a lot of things going on, and, and it's hard to think globally when there's so much going on with your patient. But when there's a lot going on, sometimes we have to prioritize what we can do in that moment and appreciate the other things later. You know, we actually do have, I think, some like labor and delivery nurses that kind of listen to this podcast as well. So, you know, kind of on the other side of that, what would you tell maybe aspiring charge nurses? You know, it's really important to understand that it's okay to not know the answers to everything. There's a lot of people to talk to usually um, to collaborate with. Trust your instincts. If it doesn't feel right, figure out why it is that it doesn't feel right. Get to the root of that sense. If you're being asked to be charged because you have what it takes to be charged, you can utilize the chain of command, huddle for decisions and ask for confirmation of the plan and always have a sense of humor. That's always the best part of a day on labor and delivery, I think, is still having that that sense of humor at the at the end of it all. Cause these mm-hmm. are Absolutely. crazy, crazy jobs. And you know, yeah. from a charge nursing perspective, so much admiration for the kind of again, the decisions, the global thinking that has to be done. Miss Julie, one thing that can be sort of, I think for all levels of providers on labor and delivery, but particularly for new folks is coming in and seeing like maybe at first glance, it doesn't seem like it's a crazy day by any means, but then getting frustrated by the facts that like there's a delay in doing something like, oh, we we don't have enough staff for this or, oh, we don't have a baby nurse to put that C-section on right now or no, like, and then saying, but we have beds, we have things around, why can't we just do it? Can you tell us a little bit more about your sort of decision-making on that front and what might be going on behind the scenes that we don't always appreciate straight away? I don't know if new providers or new residents understand how the acuity of patients and the number of patients, how that works with the number of nurses that are on the unit. Uh, Sometimes you can look at the board and it looks like there's nothing going on. And yet you hear, wow, we can't bring in those inductions because we don't have the nurses or we're concerned about uh, being able to do all the procedures in the morning because we don't have the staff for that. For example, if you're doing a twin C-section, that there's a circulating nurse for that mom, and then there's a baby nurse for each one of those babies, especially if that baby is, say, 37 weeks or 36 weeks, uh, late preterm, early term. Those kids, as you know, have issues with sugars. Those nurses can be chasing those blood sugars and feedings in the mom's PACU for a couple hours. 
And so then I'll lose three nurses to that one patient, basically, with her two babies. And it takes a little while to get them back. Likewise, if you have somebody that's really acute with severe range blood pressures, other worries about fetal well-being, I may need to send two nurses in with that patient just to make sure that the patient's in good hands and can, and once she's stable, I might be able to remove one of those nurses from that room. But if she escalates and higher level of care or urgent C-section is required, then again, there's a lot of nursing care that goes into that. So juggling the patient acuity, because it changes some people, I mean, some of the patients change throughout the day. You may think, oh, she's an antipartum patient. She's a one to three. Now, all of a sudden, she's, and she's preterm. She's cramping. She's bleeding. I have to send a nurse in there to, to take over because she's no longer that stable antipartum patient. Staffing can change drastically depending on each patient's acuity and needs throughout the day. The one thing that I always need to know as a charge nurse, who are my providers? Where are they? Because if you're in a level one or a level two facility, those providers may not always be there. How far away are they? Because those are my docs or my providers that can cut. And if there's an emergency, I need to know how fast I can get OB present, anesthesia present. And likewise, if you're interested in rupturing membranes, what we do at the university, which is which I found to be really valuable is to have a, a puddle huddle <laughs> where we all come together, nursing, charge nurses, the providers to discuss whether it's safe to proceed with, with rupturing membranes on the patient. As a provider, you may not know that there's one C-section in progress and that there's someone else that has a fetal tracing that's concerning that may become emergent very quickly. I would rather not have the membranes ruptured on that patient that you may be asking about if there's concern for uh, prolapse cord, because I don't want to be running to a faraway main operating room for an emergency like that when we can prevent an emergency. So, But I, it's really helpful to know exactly where your providers are and who are your backups, because there are times where there's not enough of you guys either. I need to know that I can get everybody mobilized so that the patient can have the best outcome. The one thing that I would add to is that when you say, what does the charge nurse need to know? Everything. Charge nurse needs to know everything. She needs to be all knowing <laughs> of everything that's happening on the unit with all the patients, all the nurses, and all the providers. Well, Julie, this has been so much fun. And Thank you again for showering us with your wisdom about sort of what for us is like the mystery of labor and delivery nursing. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you so much for having me. All right. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creags Over Coffee. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and go onto Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, or any of your other favorite podcatchers and give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at CreagsOverCoff1 or on Instagram and Facebook at CreagsOverCoffee. Or if you love the show and want to send us some support, find us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash CreagsOverCoffee. Send us some love and we'll send you some swag. We'll have show notes for this show and every other show on our website, www.creagsOverCoffee.com. 
And finally, if you have a show topic for a future episode, a correction to any of our past episodes, or you want to get in touch with our guest, Julie Park, today, email us, creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. 